I want to share with you today a word that I believe is going to be strategically important in your life. Listen to me closely. I believe that what I'm going to share with you today has the potential to literally cause you to stand up on the inside and recognize that God is really with you. If you've got your Bibles, get your Bibles, get your notepads, get your phone out, your iPad, something you can take notes on. Don't ever listen to the Word of God without a pen or piece of paper or something you can take notes in. Because, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. I guarantee you. Mike Murdoch said this to me many years ago. He, I had him in to meet with my staff, and he made this statement. He said, a short pencil is better than a long memory. The things you write down, you never forget. I believe they get sunk into your subconscious. So I want you to get your Bible, get your notepad, and let's talk today for the next few minutes. I'm, I'm reading today out of Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is one of the Gospels in the New Testament. Mark chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 45 through 50. I'm reading from the NIV, the New International Version Standard. And so we'll begin reading. It says, Immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go ahead of Him to Bethsaida while He dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, He went up on a mountain to pray. And later that night, the boat in the middle of the lake was strained and tossed. And he was alone on the land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. One translation says, the wind was contrary. Shortly before dawn, he went out to, to meet them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. So they cried out, but because they, and they saw him and they were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. The literal translation says this, Take courage, I am. Take courage, I am. I want to take a few minutes and talk about this subject. Stressed by the struggle, but still in his view. Stressed by the struggle, but I'm still in his view. You know, our nation, in fact, the entire world, has been rocketed by this pandemic, the storm, the situation that we've all been facing over the last seven or eight weeks that's particularly affected our lives in a very dramatic way. People have been locked in their homes. Business has been closed down. Freedoms have been removed. But it's important that we understand from God's perspective where storms come from, what they look like, how they can affect our lives. Here's one of the things that's very, very important. Some storms are self-induced. How many of you know there are? it is possible for us to create? I don't know about you. Tony's done that. It's possible to create your own storm because of foolishness, bad decisions, things that you do that don't always uh, turn out the way they should. Second of all, some storms are demonic in their origin. In other words, there are times when the enemy comes to strategically take you out and he targets you with a storm that you weren't expecting. But the thing that's very obvious to me is that storms come in different sizes, but they always come with a certain amount of unpredictability. You never know what all is going to happen in their activity. We have the privilege in Oklahoma to live in what's called Tornado Alley, so we we watch weather, particularly this time of year, very closely. I lived for 20 plus years in South Florida, so we watched from June till late fall for hurricane season. 
So everybody that lives in certain parts of the country, people that live in the far west in the mountains, watch for snow. It doesn't matter what it is, but they watch for storms when they're coming and what are they going to do. The narrative that we're reading from today has incredibly potent truths. This is why the Lord, I believe, put this on my heart. There's potent truths in this for us today. In fact, this, this narrative that we're talking about in, 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 in Mark chapter 6 is found in the book of Matthew. It's also found in the book of John. The only one of the four gospel writers that don't include it is, is Luke, doesn't include it in his story. But in each one, Matthew, Mark, and John, all three of them have one common denominator. And the one common denominator is this. It says, and the winds were against them. The winds were contrary. Now, this is what's important. This is why I want you to hear this today, because it was a different kind of wind. It wasn't the kind of wind that was coming for destruction. It wasn't like a tornado. It was not like a hurricane. It was not like, in fact, the Bible is plain. It didn't even have rain in it. It was a wind that was just a constant, steady wind. And here's the key. It was blowing in the opposite direction of where they were going. You could say it this way. It was a kind of wind that doesn't come to cause you to be ruined, but it's the kind of wind that comes into your life that causes you to struggle, to labor, to have to put forth more effort than you want to. The original word literally means to be opposite. It's the kind of wind that causes your life to get stuck. You get stuck in a place and feel like you're never going to get out of it. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? You ever you felt like in the last eight weeks you're stuck? and never going to get out of it. I know there are people that it didn't take a pandemic for you to feel like you're stuck. You felt like you were stuck long before we ever reached a virus. You say, what do you mean, Bishop? I'm talking about people who had a goal in their life. They had something they wanted to accomplish, but it seems like everything was against it. Circumstances were against it. Resources or the lack of them were against it. People were against it. Hostility, all kinds of mockery came up against it. And you feel like you've been rowing and rowing and rowing and you're not making a whole lot of progress. That's what happened right here in this story, in this narrative with the apostles, with the early disciples. They had been rowing for approximately eight hours. And if the scriptures are pretty clear about where they were, they were still in the middle of the lake, so they had not even gone three miles. Eight hours, professional fishermen work in a lake they knew well, and they had only made about three miles. I wonder today how many people are listening to me that you feel like you've put forth a lot more effort and energy than you've made progress. You feel like, I'm Bishop, I am under the struggle. I'm in the struggle and the strain of trying to move forward but I feel like everything in my life is a wind blowing in my face. It's blowing con just completely contrary to where it is I'm wanting to go. There's two things that those kind of winds do. First of all, when the wind's blowing at you and you're trying to make progress and you feel like you have an opposite wind blowing, is the first thing is it creates weariness. It creates weariness. It causes you to feel like my strength is draining away from me every day. I came to talk to people today who feel like your strength is draining out of your life. You feel like, I just don't, I don't have the strength to get up and go. I don't have the strength to reach. I don't have the strength to press. I don't even, some, some people don't even have the strength to believe. Second thing is that wind does is it, it not only drains us of energy and strength and passion, 
The second thing is that it creates bleariness. You know, sometimes when your eyes get real blurry, you think, I can't see clearly. Well, it not only creates weariness, it creates blurriness. So the goals, the visions, the things that I was focused on now are not in focus. And they seem so far away. And my pathway to get there seems totally blocked. I don't know if I'm ever going to realize what it is that's in front of me. I know I'm talking to somebody today. You said things I saw at the end of 219 going into 220, things I prayed about, they were so clear to me today they're blurry because I am in a contrary wind. This wind blowing in my eyes is blowing dust in my eyes. It's blowing all kind of, of debris in my eyes and I cannot see where I'm headed. I'm stressed by the struggle. What do I do, Bishop? Three things. I want you to write them down. First thing is this, and this comes right out of this narrative. The Bible says in verse number 45, and here's the first point, he made his disciples to get in the boat and told them to go to the other side. Here's the first thing you need to do. Every time you're stressed by the struggle, you have to settle your emotions because you know your ship will not sink. You have to settle your emotions because you know your ship will not sink. He had already given them His Word. He had given them a promise. He had told them, go to the other side. I'm going to meet you there. I want to draw your attention to this term, He made them. In the, in the Greek language, the original language that the book of Mark was written in, it's a very, very strong language there. It's not like He suggested it. It's not like He hinted at it. It's actually the word that's used, he compelled or he forced them to get in the boat and go out on the lake and go to the other side. You say, Bishop, that doesn't make any sense. Why would God send them into a storm? Why would Jesus do that? Well, first of all, you need to know this. Jesus didn't make the storm. He didn't go up on the mountain and create the storm just to see what they would do. He didn't do that. But he is omniscient. He does know what's going to happen. So he understood that in their going onto the lake, they could easily encounter a storm that was about to come out, come up. But he spoke to them and said, I want you to go to the other side. You say, well, then why? Why am I in the middle of a storm? Why, why do I have to face storms in my life? First of all, let me tell you why. First of all, none of us are exempt from adversity. Just go on and grab yourself and shake yourself a little bit and say, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. Nobody is exempt from adversity. And here's another thing I want you to see is this. The bookends of both of these, uh, the bookends of this, of this storm, on both sides of the passage, there's miracles that took place. Just prior to this storm, 5,000 people were fed with a little boy's lunch. On the back side of the storm, he goes to, uh, to, to a city and he heals everybody. They even bring people in the streets that are sick and he heals them. So you got two situations, miracle on the front end, miracle on the back end, and in the middle there's a storm. What are you saying, Bishop? Here's what I'm saying. See, sometimes we get a mindset that our life is just going to be one of continual miracle after miracle after miracle. But the truth of the matter is, I believe Jesus was teaching His disciples 
that just because you experience a high with the feeding of the 5,000 doesn't mean you don't need to know how to be prepared for and survive storms that come at you unexpectedly. In other words, this storm, he didn't tell them weeks in advance it's coming. It showed up. They got in the middle of doing something and a storm showed up. I wonder how many people I'm talking to today that there's storms that showed up in your life you weren't expecting. They just showed up. Those storms just showed up. But here's here's what's amazing. They got in the middle of that storm. He comes walking to them, and it's in the middle of this storm that some of those disciples who had been with him when he fed 5,000, who had been with him when he had done other miracles, but it wasn't until they got in the middle of the storm that finally they looked at him when he said, Peace be still. And they said, You truly are the Son of God. I have a word for somebody. The old songwriter Andre Crouch said this, Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. And he makes this statement in that song, If I never had a problem, I'd never know that he could solve them. And I'd never know what faith in God can do. I'm talking to you today. Settle your emotions. Your boat's not going to sink. You may be against a strong wind, but Jesus has given you a word over your life. And you've got to harness that internal turmoil that makes you want to run away and flee and believe it's never going to happen. And you have to say, he's the son of God and he's able to speak peace into my life and bring me to what he promised me. Here's the second thing I want you to know. And of everything I'm sharing today, this is probably the most important point. Second thing is this. The Bible says in verse number 48 that while he was on the mountain, realize this is the middle of the night. The Bible says he looks out on the sea and he sees them straining at the oars. I want to say that again. He sees them straining at the oars. When I was preparing this message, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to inform some and remind others that I see them. I see them. So here's here's point number two. When you're in the struggle, you're still not outside of his view. When you're in the struggle, you're still not outside of his view. That word straining is an interesting word. And you realize that he's looking at night. So maybe it was a moonlit night and he could see way out on on the lake. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter how dark it gets around you. Jesus can see through it. He sees where you're at. You say, well, I didn't say anything. No, but he sees where you're at. Watch this. The word straining had four implications. It was used four different ways in, in the days of Jesus. The, the Greek word there that was saying he was straining. How, how, what strains do we have? If we're stressed by the struggle, what kind of struggles are we having? That word had four implications. Here they are. First of all, it was used for a judicial struggle. In other words, the pressure of a judicial examination and the absence of a verdict. There was no resolution. It's like being in a lawsuit that just goes on for years. I understand what that's like. I understand through, through all the years of being in ministry and all the things that we've done, we've had multiple times where people have sued the church and done different things. And I know what it is to be under the pressure of a lawsuit that goes on for years and think, boy, this thing just drains energy out of me. I feel like every time we want to go forward, there's a wind pushing us backwards. 
I don't know that. I believe that this may be a word of knowledge. I believe there's somebody watching today. You have some unresolved judicial issues. It may be with a, a finance situation. It may be with a lawsuit. It could be with an expect, some kind of expectation from a government agency, and it's not coming. You cannot get an answer fast enough. Maybe you've applied for something. You can't get it, and you're in this judicial struggle. You're straining at the oars. And the amazing thing is, the Bible says Jesus sees you. The second way it's used, it was used for physical struggle or physical affliction. It's the, it's the picture of an illness that keeps dragging on and dragging on and dragging on and you just can't shake it. I'm telling you, in the middle of your strain, He's there. Third way it was used is this way. It was used, and we don't use this word much anymore, it was used for the vexing of the soul. We don't use the term vexing anymore. We say, you know, you don't walk around and tell people, you know, you vex me. But literally what it means is that it's an indication that somebody is living in an environment that is creating pressure on their life. Watch this. It's an environment that's contrary to what they would really desire. So they're having to live in the midst of things they can't control. But it's, it's, like, it's like it's shooting darts at their spirit. In other words, you're a believer, but you're living with a roommate who's who's got all kind of activity and perversion and pornography. And you say, I hate this in my house, but I don't have anything I can do about it. Or maybe you're in a marriage and you got, you, you're walking with Jesus and your spouse is really not committed to the Lord and things are being said that just vex you. They wear on you. Or maybe, maybe you uh, work at a, a job where people are constantly mocking your faith and it vexes your soul. That's what literally this word means. It means you're straining. I'm in the stress of the struggle. And the last way it's used is this. It's used for somebody that's fighting with a tormentor. Somebody who intentionally is trying to torment your life. He wakes up every day trying to figure out how to make it difficult for you. Can I tell you something? You don't need witchcraft or sorcery. You have a devil that seeks every day to try to kill, steal, and destroy. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says they were, in, they were with this contrary wind. They were struggling and they, they were straining because all these things were coming at them. I'm talking to somebody today who's stressed by the struggle. You are stressed by the struggle. God wants you to know He sees you. You're not out of His viewpoint. Let me give you an illustration of something. This past year, probably this this is the first time all the years I've taught the Bible. This past year, I've I ran across a passage of scripture that totally revolutionized my life, and it's an it's an illustration I want to use right here. It's out of Genesis chapter sixteen. It's about a woman named Hagar. Hagar, if you remember, was the mistress or the lady that served uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife. And when Sarah couldn't have a baby, she decided that she would send her mistress or her servant into Abraham to become a surrogate mother. Here's what I want you to know about Hagar. Hagar was an Egyptian that was given to Abraham's family as a, as a prize. She had no choice. She had to leave her homeland and go live with Abraham. She was a slave. And as long as she was in Abraham's house, do you know the one thing the Bible says about Hagar, as long as she was in Abraham's house, they never called her by her name. 
Abraham always called her Sarah's handmaiden, and Sarah always called her my slave. What is it like to be an unknown, unnamed, unrecognized person? That's Hagar. And guess what? Hagar not only didn't have a choice about leaving Egypt and come live with Abraham, she didn't have a choice about going in and having to sleep with Abraham. You talk about a life that was thrust on you. Winds that were coming at you that you had nothing, you couldn't choose them, and you couldn't deny them. They were coming at you. And when Hagar had a baby, the Bible says that she became contentious. She got snooty. She sort of was like throwing it in. She was throwing... uh, it in, in Sarah's face. And as she threw it in Sarah's face, the reality is, is that Sarah became very irritated and angry. She eventually goes to Abraham and says, drive off the bond, drive off the bondwoman, drive the handmaiden out of my house. So Abraham comes and makes Hagar leave. So Hagar's on her way, potentially back to Egypt, back to her home. So she has to cross the desert. Here is a single mom with a baby crossing the desert. She's exhausted. She's hot. She's afraid. She's frustrated. She's empty. And she just decides to stop in the middle of the desert. And when she stops, she sees a spring. So she goes over and sets her baby down under a bush. She goes to the spring to get some water for her and her baby because they've been walking through the desert. And when she goes to the spring, the Bible says the angel of the Lord And if you watch this in your Bibles, in Genesis 16, the word angel is capitalized. And the reason it's capitalized is because it's a a theophany. It's literally an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament in the form of an angel. He appears to Hagar. Jesus appears to her while she's at the spring. And he says to her, Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? Do you know what? For several years, nobody had called her by name. For several years, nobody even cared where she came from and where she was going because she was living as a slave to circumstances of her life. And all of a sudden, Jesus says to her, He says, Hagar, where are you going and where have you come from? And He refreshes her with the water. He gives her a promise for her future that her son's going to be taken care of. And watch this. If you're in your house, you're going to run around right now. The Bible says that when she realizes it's the Lord, she calls him El-Rohi. El-Rohi. And here's what it means. I have seen the God who sees me. I have seen the God who sees me. Somebody today needs to hear this. God sees you. You say, but I'm being abused. God sees you. But I didn't get the job, Bishop. God sees you. I got laid off from my job. God sees you. And we get ready to close. Here's the last thing I want you to see from this, this narrative. Not only do you have to settle your emotions, not only do you have to know that in the stress and the strain, you're not out of his view. Here's the last thing. The Bible says in verse 48 that about the fourth watch of the night, he comes walking to them on the water. You know what that means? The fourth watch of the night is between 3 and 6 o'clock a.m. 
It's the darkest part of the night. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Write this in your notes. When it's the darkest, Jesus shows up. When it's the darkest, Jesus shows up. Two things I want you to see. When we're desperately uncertain of what's going to happen because the winds are blowing against us, He shows up to give solutions. And the second thing is this. When He shows up, everything changes. Our worship team is getting ready to sing for us a song that says, when He walks into the room, everything changes. Let me tell you what the answer to your struggle is. If you're in the stress of the struggle, the strain of the struggle, here's the answer. His presence is the answer for your strain. Jesus walking into your life will be the answer for everything you're looking for. It's not a new house, a new job, a new mate, or a new set of friends. It's Him walking to you in the darkest hour of your life and with His presence letting you know all is well. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but He wants you to know that when you're in the stress of the struggle, He sees you. I want to pray with you. If you today don't know Jesus personally, I want to invite you right now to pray a very simple prayer with me. And I want, to, I want to send you a book in the mail. I want to get it to you whatever way I can. I want to get it into your hands. It's called Fresh Start. I want you to know you have a new beginning today. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I look to you to step into my life and to change everything. I receive you. In your name I pray. Amen and amen.